Well, hey, friends, welcome back to the Right Setup Leadership Podcast. I'm stoked to be hanging out with you for today. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm your marketing director over at Stay Forth Designs. Now, before we jump into our episode, I want you to think about something, and then I'm going to ask you to do something for me at the end of this. So you've got two choices, and you're going to need to think about where you're heading in this season right now. And then you've got two choices to make. For many of us, we're heading in a direction that doesn't feel exactly right, or it doesn't feel sustainable. And that's largely consisted of we are having our inputs that we're going in, the things we're investing in, the things that we do, the places we've been called to serve and lead. The inputs of energy and time are not yielding the outputs that we desire. We feel like we're giving more and more and more. We're moving at a higher level, but it seems like we're losing momentum. What's causing you to lose momentum? What questions are you asking that you don't have the answers to? What's the nagging question that makes you feel like this is not sustainable? Or... Are you entering into a season of big change and you're wondering, how the heck can I navigate this alone? What are you going to do about that? The other choice is, in spite of everything else, to take steps to move in the other direction. To say, look, something is off and I'm going to dig in for the sake of my own health, my own ability to lead, to lead at a higher level that's more sustainable, that's not just effective, but it's proactively thriving where I've been called to serve. What would you do? What choice would you make? Well, let me make this easy for you. If you click the link in the show notes right now, our team is ready to come alongside you with a free breakthrough coaching session. We don't just call it a breakthrough coaching session for nothing. It's not snake oil. It's not a sales pitch. It's literally a coaching session designed to answer some of those key nagging questions you have, give you some actionable next steps to take, to have a breakthrough so that you can keep taking next steps in the right direction. We want as many people as possible to experience what it's like to receive coaching from Stay Forth Designs. We have an amazing team of coaches and network coaches ready to help you reduce your overwhelm, increase your clarity, to stop just surviving where you are and reacting to life as it comes your way, but proactively thriving and stewarding the resources and time and energy that God's given you so that you can serve yourself and others and those you lead well, not just today, not just tomorrow, but in seasons to come. So do me a favor. I'm challenging you right now to schedule your free breakthrough coaching session by clicking the link in the bio. You literally have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And to me, that sounds like a pretty phenomenal next right step. Now, guys, enjoy today's episode of the podcast. Well, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Al. Coming in from a beautiful, beautiful city of Charleston, South Carolina. Tell me a little bit about you and your background there with the city uh, and then um, your work with Awaken. Yeah, so Charleston, obviously, it is a, a beautiful city. I call it home. I uh, went to, to grade school here, went to college here at the College of Charleston. And um, hey man, I just love it. It's a growing area. Uh, it's an interesting place because it's got that Southern charm feel. But a lot of people moving down south. And so, um, you know, the, the transient nature of the city, uh, it keeps keeps the turnover uh, and the population, I think, ever evolving. So uh, while a lot of people look at it, go ah, Southern charm, uh, traditional, historic, uh, man, the reality is we're a melting pot. And uh, there's all kinds of different uh, ethnicities, diversity, uh, backgrounds in this city. And I love it. I just absolutely love this place. Mm. Uh, when did you guys plant Awaken, and what's kind of the the trajectory look like for you guys? Yeah, so uh, we planted Awaken Church uh, back in 2013, uh, a, a group of nine. It's a small team of nine of us. We moved into the city, uh, most of us from the upstate of South Carolina, 
Uh, I was I was serving at a large mega church there, and um, just felt called back to a city where I I'd come to know Christ my junior year of college, and uh, felt just felt compelled to come back and start a work. And uh, so nine of us moved down. We all got jobs. Uh, we didn't have a big funding source or anything like that to plant the church. Um, we just really felt called to the city. So uh, I got a job in government sales and contracting. We had people doing commercial carpet cleaning. We had teachers. And um, yeah, we just started meeting in small groups and started getting in our neighbors. And um, for all of us, we, we knew that our, uh, our spiritual formation, our growth had happened the most in circles, more than rows and in church service. And so we knew we wanted the, the, the foundation of the church to be that. So uh, we started with small groups. Uh, those grew pretty quickly. Um, and then in January of 2013, we moved in summer of 2012, January 2013, we had our first service. And uh, and, and God's just, he's done a great work, man. The church is, um, it grew pretty rapidly uh, at first. Uh, we saw a lot of conversions, uh, a lot of people getting connected to the church that either had a tainted view of church, um, they'd been unchurched for a while, uh, a lot of church hurt so to speak. But um, uh, yeah, we, we multiplied services. We ended up moving into a building. Uh, we started a campus uh, in about, about 20 miles away, our Somerville campus uh, back in 2017. And um, just before COVID hit, uh, we were starting a downtown campus. So our heart really has been, hey, how do we multiply small groups um, in a geographic area to the point where a gathering is necessitated? And then we'll put a campus there. And so that's that's really our heartbeat. It was pre-COVID. It is post-COVID. Uh, we just believe that uh, discipleship happens in relationships. And so we want to make sure the church stays at a size where relationships can be nurtured um, mm-hmm. and will multiply out as far as we can go to make that happen. Beautiful, man. Uh, we connected about two months before the thing that we now call yeah. COVID changed our lives, which I, I think was about 20 years ago or so, but they say on paper... <laughs> Uh, that it was January 2020. Uh, how has your approach to life, leadership, and ministry had to change in the last few years? Uh, man, that's a, I love that question because if, if as a leader, we've not taken the time to reflect on what you just asked, uh, we've missed, I think, maybe God's purpose uh, in what, what 2020 and COVID really was. Uh, and, and I say, you know, Alan, for me, the, probably the the way that I've changed the most or what I learned through the process and am learning um, is that it, that it's okay as a leader. It's okay not to be okay. Uh, it's okay to, to be disappointed. It's okay to be discouraged. Um, you know, one of the most groundbreaking things for me happened last fall. Uh, it was September, September, 2020. Um, we had been closed. We closed down back in March, mid March, uh, you know, we went completely virtual with our services, small groups, you know, weren't meeting or if they were, it was very sporadic. Um, so our our giving, ironically, never really took a hit, which was surprising. Um, but that, that didn't matter. It just, we weren't with the people. And and the disconnect from the community was brutal. And in the fall, you know, we, we, we reopened our doors for services. And in some ways, I think there was a sense for me and even for our, our staff and leaders here that oh, once we open the doors back, that, that, then things will be good. Um, and the truth is, man, like there was, there was almost this attempt to move forward without really grieving what we had lost. And when I say grieving what we had lost is, I mean, you know, the, the, there was a lot of momentum for us going into COVID. The church was growing, like I said, rapidly. We had 
we were starting our third campus. We made some new hires. Uh, when I met you at the retreat in 2020 out in, uh, out in Dallas, um, I mean, our, our church was at all time health at every metric possible. Uh, and then the world shut down. And, you know, what I like to tell people is during during COVID, I feel like we got a little exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean, what I mean by that is like as a church, we would have said, hey, care and discipleship relationships and community is of utmost value for us. Um, and uh, the, the the difficulty, man, honestly, as a leader was realizing that when the momentum of of everything we called church came to a halt, uh, we got exposed and and the foundation of what we really stood for came to surface. And um, and I think I think grieving in some ways last fall, like, hey, man, like we we need to let go of some things that we were doing. We need to let go of maybe some of the uh, even vision that we were chasing and not try to get back to that. But more just say, let's look at who's right in front of us. Uh, and let's really nurture and shepherd and care for the people in front of us and allow God to build back his church. It's it's his job to build his church, not ours. And uh, and so we we had to trust that. And uh, so I would say where we are now, uh, we're we're in a much healthier place as a church than even pre-COVID. And while some of the numbers on the outside wouldn't necessarily speak to that, um, it's felt. That culture is definitely felt internally and and the fruit's really good. So uh, but yeah, I think as a leader, it was just realizing, hey man, it's, it's okay to let go of some stuff um, that at one point we were chasing really hard, um, and and really pivot, really pivot, really pivot, and go back to the original calling of why we planted the church, and uh, and start to rebuild from that place. And we've all been exposed. I mean, personally, we were talking before we hit record on the the loss of momentum. That's exactly what I had to grieve, and we grieved at Stay Forth was that. Oh, I I thought it was building up to crescendo, and in yeah. fact, what we needed was to take a peek at the roots instead of just the fruit. We needed to look at our identity instead of just our impact. And I think it, you know, COVID being the great revealer or the great exposer, I don't think it created the issues. I think it revealed what was there. It you know ripped the veil away for us to go. Oh man, that isn't pretty. And yet, I've heard that Brandon from probably ten other leaders in the last few months was. We are much healthier, but words like pruning, getting rid of things. We're asking, what do we need to yeah. return to that we sort of lost our first love in? What do we need to reinvent and say, like, this was working, but for a season. Um, and there are things at Stay Forth that were working. We still haven't gotten them to work afterwards. And maybe yeah. just maybe they were for a time for a season and, and they were helpful. But that doesn't mean that they carry on. So it's interesting that you use that word momentum. We had to grieve that before we could move into the next. And just to name that loss, to be disappointed, be frustrated, um, a little bit heartbroken even at some of the things we are getting to peek at um, that that weren't supposed to continue, I'm convinced, for us. I mean, let's talk about your book. Yeah, I mean, I think I love that you said, you know, ex- expose the exposer or revealer. Uh, and Because and, I think those are two different ways of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I think what you just said was probably a much healthier word, uh, you know, because when I look at you know, exposed it's almost as if like, hey, we got found out, but really God revealed, I think a healthier version of what church should be. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 and thankfully, as a team, we were willing to pay attention to that um, and realize that, that he did have a purpose, even whatever, whatever seemed painful, whatever seemed hard, like God had a purpose in it. And so pruning, like you said, I mean, it's, hey, did God prune his church? Uh, did he prune back ministries? I believe so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, pruning it, it's ugly and it looks like loss. Unless you got an expectation that there's better things on the way, right? So it does. I, I think I, I love I love that perspective of it. 
Um, and cause God definitely, yeah, he, he revealed, I think a healthier version of what we needed to be. Yeah. Well, it's not lost on me. We're talking about your book. We're talking about lies today. Yeah. And for you listeners, if you haven't written a book, you got to know that books are birthed like three years before they're started like two years before. And so this was a pre COVID message and yet it's teed up perfectly for this moment. So as we talk about lies, let's push straight in from this kind of exposure pruning your book, Rise Above the Lies, Exposing the Lies that Leaders Believe and Embracing the Truths that Will Make You Succeed. Just go straight to the gut, man. What are a couple of those lies that you feel like are incredibly relevant to this moment? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I, I'm a huge fan of just leadership and development. And I think leadership and discipleship are very uh, intertwined. And the whole basis of this book, it really chronicles the journey of, of being a church planter. I never saw myself as being a planner, um, an entrepreneur, but launching out and planting the church uh, over the last eight years, while a lot of things have been great, uh, the reality is there's been some some difficult spots uh, on the journey and and none of them were intentional. And uh, the whole premise of the book is that lies are uh, things we believe uh, and oftentimes we embrace them as truth uh, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. Uh, and, and, you know, the, 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 the book set up the preface of it with just the evolution of a lie found in the garden of Eden, where Satan just deceived, uh, Eve with a question, did God really say that? And undermined the truth of God's word, uh, and led, led Eve astray and her and Adam obviously introduced sin to the world. And, you know, the truth is as a leader, whether ministry or marketplace, there's, there's certain principles that exist, uh, that I believe we embrace. And before we know it, uh, they become distorted beliefs that actually shape the way that we behave. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, in the in the leadership marketplace world, ministry, I'm sorry, leadership world, uh, the idea of having grind or hustle or grit, uh, I think more than ever before in our world, we're hearing that, like, you know, do you have, are you willing to grind? Are you willing to hustle? Uh, and that's not a bad thing. Like, it's, it's great to have a, a strong work ethic, as we would both agree, Alan. But uh, if we're not careful, and it speaks to this in the book that that mentality becomes this passion that gets turned into poison. And, and we begin to believe, well, no one, people aren't grinding as hard as I am, or they're not hustling as hard as I am. And that means they don't care as much as I do. And so pride begins to develop. And so, you know, in, in the book, I expose essentially those, those lies, this idea that like, Hey, there's things that we believe that didn't start out bad but they've evolved into this place that now they're beliefs that are actually lies. And the only way to counter those is to, to impose truth from God's word. And so um, a couple of them, uh, I mean, there's seven lies. Uh, it's the seven, what I would call seven deadly lies. Uh, grab some of them off the Forbes.com, Inc.com. Uh, again, these aren't just ministry leaders uh, that believe these lies. It's, it's marketplace. Um, but, you know, a couple of them, hey, my way is the best way. Uh, if you've ever started anything, you definitely thought that. Um, and in fact, a lot of a lot of churches, uh, a lot of nonprofits or businesses get started with that mentality. Hey, I know a better way. Uh, yep. And um, you know, it's it's this idea that like, hey, and and what? Hey, you may know a great way, um, but and that confidence is not a bad thing. But you need to have counsel around you to balance that out. Um, otherwise, it just becomes arrogance and becomes ego. Um, the idea that another lies failure is final, um, you know, what keeps a lot of people from launching out to plant a church or start a business or pursue a nonprofit is, you know, hey, I, I might fail. 
And so if the enemy can keep you captivated by fear, then you don't ever act in faith and do anything. And so, you know, the, the opposite is, hey, like if we if we realize that failure is not final, that there's grace, there's forgiveness, even. And I think right now that's a powerful truth coming out of COVID. I've talked to uh, several church church planters that, you know, church plant started. The, the wind got taken out of their sails with COVID and they don't see a path forward. Uh, well, heaven forbid they never plant a church again uh, or pursue mm-hmm. ministry. Um, and but but I think Satan would would want us to believe the enemy would want you to believe, hey, you are what you just led. Therefore, you are a failure. And that's God's word tells us that's so far from the truth. Um, another one, hey, results are greater than relationships. Uh, this idea of the bottom line is all that matters. Um, the, the numbers. So in, in church world, you know, butts, budgets, and baptisms uh, that, hey, just get people in the, in the room or get the bottom line budget or baptize enough people, uh, that those results build healthy churches. And that, that that is a lie from the enemy. Like, hey, we're supposed to be about relationships. So I, it, the book is really about rethinking, really evaluating our belief systems um, and asking the question, why do I believe the things I believe that will lead me to behave the way I behave? And how can I get healthier as a leader because of it? And uh, that's really what the book's designed to, to attack. Is there one of those lies, Brandon, that you've been more tempted to believe in the last year or so than the others? Yeah, in fact, it's the, it's the one that, uh, it's the first lie that I list in the book. And it's the one that almost almost took me out. And uh, when I, it's, it's the lie that no one cares as much as me. Um, and, you know, as, as, as someone who planted the lead planter of this church, uh, I tell people it's like a baby. It's like having a baby, uh, and and you know you, you take care of it. So much blood, sweat, tears, and energy. And uh, you know, there's, when when you're a parent and you first take that, or you first give that baby to a babysitter, or drop that baby off at preschool. There's there's a dis, there's a ah, do they are they going to love my kid like I love them? You know, uh, all those was well, a church plant, uh, just something that you created and helped be a part of and birthed. And again, it's not just for church planners, but um, the question has been, man, like with all the loss this past year, does anyone feel the same weight that I do? Like, do people really care about what God's called us to do as much as me? I talk about that in the the book. It's um, really the first lie, because when we planted the church, uh, our first Easter service, the first first year of our existence, um, Ashley and I, Ashley's my wife. Uh, we were pregnant with our fourth child, and and the the week of Easter weekend, we were five months in to to the church, and on Easter weekend we were setting up the the gym. We were having a service the following morning, and uh, and she miscarried on Saturday. Wow! And in the book, I talk about the fact that uh, you know some friends took her home while I continued to set up the church venue for service because Easter is such a big deal in church world. And and I was so immersed believing this lie that, hey, I have to do this because no one cares as much as I do, that I was emotionally disconnected and checked out from my wife. And and that almost destroyed our marriage. It almost destroyed our church. And and thankfully, I was able to get good counsel through that and reconnect. And but that was the first, that was the first time that lie really crept in. And and I've and I've and I'm thankful now for that experience because looking back over 2020. Um, what it leveraged for me was being able to look around at the team and the leaders in our church and recognize, man, everybody's got blood, sweat, and tears in this thing. Um, and this ch- this church isn't built on just the skills of of one man or a few men. Uh, it's built on the sacrifices of hundreds of people. 
And, uh, and, and so this doesn't, this doesn't ride on my shoulders. And so it just lightens the load. And, and I think, um, you know, that experience helped shape me and, and honestly make me more healthy during this past year when honestly, if had I, had I continued living that way, um, I can't imagine how unhealthy I would have been. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, sure. I talk with leaders about two thirds of my week about dreams, dreams that God has placed on their life and their heart and crafted them, designed them uniquely for, uh, what's the relationship between dreams and lies? Yeah, I think dreams or visions, uh, I believe they come from, from, from the Lord. I believe God puts things inside of our, our hearts and inside of our minds that he wants us to pursue. Um, obviously I'm speaking from a, a pastor's perspective a ministry perspective. Um, but I think dreams cause us to ask the question, what, what could be, you know, what if, uh, what if I go for it? Uh, and really this, this, um, a, a picture of a preferred future, um, or a response to maybe a problem we see, or, uh, it's hopeful and it's positive. Uh, that's a dream, a lie. Um, uh, I just think lies kind of lurk in the shadows, you know, and, and lies are spoken with, with fears that aren't even really, they're not real. Uh, and, and so if I can get you to believe um, just a distorted version of, of truth, it doesn't have to be a, a bold-faced lie. That's what's so tough, I think, about these beliefs. Um, a lie can just be a distortion of truth. But if, if I can get you to believe that, um, and that can somehow handcuff you to staying safe or staying comfort or staying complacent, um, then, then your dreams or your visions are never going to come to fruition. And I mean, we see it all throughout scripture, right? We see like uh, God calling his people to the promised land, um, God calling Moses, God calling Joshua. Uh, I think one of the most powerful stories in scripture is, you know, when, when the spies go into the promised land and 10 come back and say, hey, we can't go in there. There's giants and they're going to kill us. That wasn't, that wasn't truth. That was a lie. Uh, it was perceived reality. But that lie kept them from ever experiencing what God had better for them. Whereas Joshua and Caleb, believed in the vision and dream for the future and what God had said, and they got to inhabit the promised land. So I just think that, that lies, lies handcuff us, uh, lies hinder us to be able to, to, to accomplish really everything God has called us to be. What are some dreams you have for Awaken Church? My biggest dream uh, for Awaken Church is that I, I, would, I would look back one day um, and see everyday average people who have met Jesus and are just living out their calling and purpose in every sphere of life. I just, I, I want to see that. I want to see God's, I want to see the gospel presence uh, just pervasive, whether, Hey, if you're a real estate agent, man, like empower other agents, uh, develop other agents. Like I want to see you flourish and I want to see you be able to use those resources to just uh, enhance and advance the kingdom. If you're a parent, man, I want to see you develop and disciple your kids in such a way. Those kids are world changers. Uh, not necessarily pastors, not necessarily missionaries, but that they're living for Jesus in every sphere of their life. I want to be able to look back and see, Alan, just generational, like generational fruit uh, that comes from just faithfulness to the gospel and, uh, and, and see it, you know, my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids, to be able to look at a church uh, and see that that's taking place all across our city, all across our region, and hopefully even beyond. Uh, and just know, you know what, we were, we were, we were faithful to who God called us to be. And God raised up a generation uh, of disciples that made disciples that made disciples. 
Um, that's that's what I see for Waking Church. Mm. What about your dreams for the church as a whole, Capital C Church, across the world in this next season? So here's a great question, and here's what I love happened during COVID. Um, I wouldn't say I love everything that happened during COVID, but what I think it did was uh, one, it it it, ex- it exposed or revealed um, definitely a lot of divisions. Uh, maybe that existed uh, in our country, um, maybe even in the church. But I also think anything you start to to deconstruct um, or expose, it's kind of like renovating a house. You know, you tear out all the old drywall, you see the studs, uh, you find the foundation. I think one of the things COVID did for us was it, it, it ripped away uh, a lot of the collateral stuff that we call Capital C Church. Um, and made us really ask the question, like, hey, what unites us? Like, what, uni- what unifies us as, as, as big church, universal church? Um, and it seems, though, at least in my city, I can't speak for every city. I've talked to guys in, in other metro areas, but at least in our city. Um, and I like to say my city because I think God called me here. And mm-hmm. we just kind of claim, like, hey, man, like every, every place you put your foot. I hear the love. Uh, I hear the love, man. And, and just claim it, you know? And, and, but, but here in this city, what, it, what it's done is, you know, I don't. I don't care so much about all the peripheral stuff that maybe the Episcopal church stands for. Uh, I don't care about all the peripheral stuff necessarily that the Catholic church stands for. I don't care about the peripheral stuff that, you know, that denomination or uh, that set. Hey, what, what's, are we unified the gospel? Can we all unite under this banner of Jesus? Okay, great. Let's take the city under that name. And, and so for me, when I say like, Hey, capital C church, what's the dream for capital C church, man, I just, I, I pray and believe that, you know, and I don't think it has to be decades from now, but that moving forward, there's far less divisions um, over petty things and, and a much greater emphasis on, on who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and, and that the church be unified under the banner of the gospel. And uh, it's, again, a lot of this stuff that, that surfaced over the last year would just kind of drift away. And I believe there's a generation rising up that's doing that. Love it. See it. I see it too, man. Uh, you got four kids. You got a little bit of responsibility. You've had a little bit of change over the last few years. So. Two teenagers, man. I got two teenage boys and two Ooh. girls. So, man. yeah, man. Yep. Hey, I'm living in the two teen years uh, right now with a few more hot on their heels. How do you stay grounded and replenished as, as a leader and a disciple? Uh, man, I, one, I think um, at one of those exponential conferences or TED talks heard somebody one time talk about like, Hey, it's, uh, you never see a superhero bleed. And, and they gave this encouragement, like, Hey, as a, as a pastor, don't try to be a superhero, uh, let your people see you bleed. And I think that mentality, uh, as a, as a dad, as a husband and as a dad, uh, is incredibly, incredibly valuable. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean like, um, I'm, I'm crying on my kids every night we're exposing everything to them. But I, I can tell you, uh, like my, my two sons, uh, they're 15 and 13, Braley and Bryson. Um, they, they knew dad was dealing with some discouragement and depression in, in the late summer of 2020. Um, and it didn't make me, you know, thankfully I wasn't inoperable as a, as a father. Um, but I didn't try to shield that from them and just hold it all together. Um, my, our team, our ministry team here, uh, they've, they know, the struggles at times that I've had at home. 
listen, I mean, COVID was hard on everybody. Our kids were virtual. They weren't in school. Uh, a lot of the, I mean, their playgrounds got shut down. Basketball courts got shut down. They, they couldn't leave the house for the most part. Um, and, and that takes a, an effect on kids. Uh, and so it made it, it, it took a toll on us as a family. There were a lot of great times, um, increased time we got to spend together, but, um, there were also difficulties as, as a parent to two teenage boys. And so, um, you know, sharing those difficulties with, uh, our staff at the church, uh, with my men's small group that I'm a part of. Um, but also just letting our kids know like, Hey man, mom and dad, like we struggle too. Uh, and, and letting them see, yes, the celebrations of this life, but also the struggles and, and, and not trying to shield them from that because um, we've just found that's more valuable, man. We found it's, it's more valuable as we make disciples of our kids. Um, I think one of the most beautiful pictures that we see in scripture is, you know, that John being able to give the account of seeing Jesus cry in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, seeing him sweat, you know, drops of blood. It's they. They saw the savior of the world, their best friend, as, as anxious to the point of bleeding. And, and I, I just think as we make disciples of our kids and even in our churches, um, allowing them to see the harder sides of life, too, and, and not trying to think, hey, I got to hold this all together for my family. Because the truth is, uh, that's a recipe to crumble yourself. So uh, I've stayed grounded, man, obviously being in God's word, obviously in prayer. But the community, um, the community of having a small group around me. Um, having real intimate relationships uh, with my staff, our leadership team here. Um, it's, it's, it's made me more healthy uh, living out the principles of, of really making uh, discipleship happening in the context of relationships, really believing that and living that out has, has sustained me over the last year. Mm, that's good. Last question here is more of an encouragement. We're all bleeding. The question is whether yeah. we're letting people see that or not. What would you say to a leader who's bleeding but feels like they can't let anybody else see it. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Um, so you only have you only have so much blood in the tank, right? I mean, I, I just I, I'm going to make it really simplistic, right? But if 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 I were to cut you, uh, and the cut's deep enough, um, at some point you're going to have to seek care, or you're not going to make it. And and when you go seek care chances are you need to go to somebody who knows how to treat your wound and, and close it up. And the healing is going to take some time. And, and when it's all said and done, um, you're, you're going to have a scar. And, and I just think scars tell the most powerful stories. So don't, don't be afraid of whatever it is that caused the damage. Um, but you got to start by acknowledging, Hey, you got a problem. And if you don't stop the bleeding, uh, eventually, uh, it's going to stop you. And, and so what I would say to the leader, to the parent, uh, to, the, to the person that's wondering, how do I move forward? How do I get past this? How do I stop the bleeding? Uh, man, just start by acknowledging this is real and it hurts and the hurt's not going away. Um, but, but also know, man, like the, the, there's hope, there's help um, and get the help that you need because there's, there's, there's better days. There really are better days ahead. And that's not some uh, wishful thinking. It's not some self-help phrase. Um, there really are people, um, listen, I've gotten great godly counsel over the last year as a pastor, and I would have called myself pretty healthy even through 2020. Um, but it's not just those who are unhealthy who need a doctor. <laughs> we, we all need to take care of ourselves and be proactive, not reactive. So, um, I would say to that, to the, that leader that's bleeding right now, um, acknowledge it, seek help for it. 
recognize it may take some time, but it's but it's worth the work because um, a healed and healthy you uh, is much better than an exhausted and hurt you. It's a good word. Well, Brandon, thanks for your work there in Charleston, your work with networks of church planters who want to launch proactive and healthy, and also for your words to us calling out the lies. Guys, his book is Rise Above the Lies. I encourage you to pick that up right now. Obviously, a divine moment, divine planning, something we would not have known we would be looking back at as you begin to write this book. So, Brandon, appreciate you, man. Look forward to being on experience in the near future with you at some point. Alan, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you and keep going. I believe in Stay Forward Designs, what you're doing, man. Keep it up. Thanks, man. So long.